name is Jason, I'm the lead pastor here. I just want to tell you guys a few things before we uh, dive into the last part of Act 2. Uh, so a couple things we want you to know about that's coming up. First of all, it is house group season. So if you are already in a house group, just kind of, I don't know, like whoop or something, like, like raise your hand or do something like so we know. Okay, if you didn't whoop, uh, you need to go to the Next Steps booth or you need to go to the, the house group booth and get in a house group. We're going to start those on September 29th. And here's why. We believe that we are better together. And so if you're looking for community, looking for connection, you're new here and say, hey, I would really love to just get to know some people. This is a great, great place to begin. We have groups that meet all over the city, different days of the week. So if you've got a little bit of a weird schedule with work or, or whatnot, a lot of them meet on Sunday night. Uh, but it's a great connection point. And so here's what's going to happen is you're going to not only meet some people, you're going to be able to grow uh, in some safe space as well. And so we really encourage, we had 16 new people last week sign up for a house group, and so a great start. We've got two more weeks. Yes, that is, that is, that is great, great news. And so again, if you're not in one, uh, just think about it. Pray about it. You've got a couple of weeks still to get in one of those, and so we want to do that. Also, uh, if you are new here and want some more information about who we are, what we do, those sorts of things, don't be afraid to fill out a welcome home card and just ask a question or or say, hey, I would love to meet for coffee, or any of those kinds of things, you can slide them in the give box. And then speaking of give box, uh, part of worship every Sunday for us is giving. It's not something we do and twist arms. We don't pass bus buckets necessarily. But for those of us who are partners here, we believe in this. We believe that we are just called to be wildly generous, and that starts with our own generosity. And so we love to be a church that exemplifies that in our community. And so we want you to take a minute today and do that. If you haven't already, you can do that online. You can do that by texting, or if you've got uh, other ways, you can always put that in the red box. And so uh, don't forget to make that a part of your worship today. Uh, I'm excited. We're going to jump into the last part of Act 2. And uh, it, it's uh, this just, just wait. It, it, I think this is a really good one that uh, not only will, will land at a great spot for our church, but for you individually, uh, regardless of what it is you might be dealing with or where you're headed or some decisions in your life or, or, or your circumstances. So I'm really excited about today. So let's pray and we'll get to it. Father, this morning, we pray that, uh, again, your, your, your presence be in this place, that your presence be in our hearts and in our minds. And I know there's a lot of things that uh, detract and distract us from uh, just even for, for just a few minutes to center around what it is that you're calling us to and who it is that you've called us to be and why it is that you've called us to do certain things and be a part of certain things. And so, Father, I pray today that those things, uh, as we have built a case all the way through this beautiful story of Acts about the early church, that today we'll see what it is that has to, to come upon this place and come upon my heart in order uh, for us to really begin to, 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 to move in the ways that you've called us to move, to be the movement that you've called us to be. And so, Father, I pray again that uh, in the next few minutes that, that you're, you will speak, that you will be heard, that it'll be loud and clear what it is and who it is that you've called us to put our, our dependence in and who it is that, that, God, you have created us to be in light of who you are. And, Father, we again just pray that you bless us in this moment. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. 
You know, I've told you for quite a few weeks now uh, in Act 2 that around the first of the year, we sat down and we really began to say, okay, God, what is it that you're wanting uh, in this space, in this community, out of our church? And so we began to kind of turn over different stones, and, and uh, we really just kind of went to work. Okay, God, you know, we're, we're getting ready to start year five, and what is it that you want us to be about? And what's the big why? And, and what's our mission? What's our purpose in this community? We knew that we had touched on several of these things. We knew that we have really kind of capitalized on several things, but there was still something in this season that, that honestly we called intermission where we just kind of hit pause on some things and said, okay, God, what is it that you want next? If we were to close the curtain for a second on intermission and kind of make the first four years that, you know, what it is, there's been some great things and we have celebrated some great things. If we were to lift the curtain on this next phase of Wellhouse or the next phase of your spiritual walk, what would that look like? And so we began to talk about alignment, an alignment based on, you know, mission and vision and, and what it is that we want to accomplish, the big why. And we see when we turn into Acts chapter 1, God gives us the big why. Jesus tells his disciples that here's what's about to happen, is that you are about to become empowered individuals so that you can be my witness. You can witness to my goodness. You can witness to who I am. You can witness to, to the resurrection that, that, again, is kind of the punch, the power behind all this. So we got to talking about what is it that we want to align around. We talked about communication. We said, you know what, one of the things that maybe at times in our busyness and, and everything else that goes on, or maybe that we just have hit a little bit of a routine and you don't always communicate as well uh, in, in routines as you do normally. And so we just said, you know, we need to communicate. We need to be clear about some things. And so last week I laid out seven things that we want to be clear about who we are and what we're pursuing. We said, you know what, we want to begin to create intentional inward an upward appetite. That God, we want to, we want to, for a moment, while you have called us to be outward, that maybe there's something that needs to be done in the houses of our hearts. Maybe there's something that we need to do in order to kickstart or cause a catalyst to be this inward focused and upward focused so that again, all those things begin to flow outward. And so that was kind of our story. We said, we want to do this together. And so we, we, we kind of went through the spring, and then we got to the edge of summer, which, by the way, I wish would go away at this point. Anybody else over the 98? Yeah. And so we got to the edge of the summer, and we had done a lot of work. We felt like, that, you know, we've had a lot of discussion. We, we've done a lot to kind of begin to answer the questions of what's the big why and what's really our mission, but I felt like there was still something missing. There was something that I didn't have words for. It's like I knew what it was, I kind of could feel it, but I, I, I couldn't really put it, it was like I, I, I wasn't hearing it clear. There was something that, that I wasn't seeing, there was something that I wasn't hearing, and so I thought, okay, you know what, some time away would be good. And so Lori and I set out to go to the beach for a few days. And I prayed very intently, God, may there be something this week that answers the, the question to what is missing. What is it that I can't articulate? What is it that, that, God, you want me to see? What is it that you want me to hear? Will you reveal to me what it is so that I can begin to put words around it, this, this thing that is kind of growing and yearning in my heart? So I took a few books, and I took some like heavyweight books. I dug out P. 
Peterson and Keller and some of these great theologians, because I thought in the midst of some deeper reading, which is always fun on the beach, right? I mean, everybody wants to do really heavy lifting, you know, theologically on the beach, but I thought, you know, that's going to be it. So I sat and I read and I labored through, and I was like, it's just not, and it wasn't there. I, I highlighted a few things. I sent myself a, a few messages, but I thought, you know, there's just still something. And so throughout the course of that week, I tried to, to take some time to be still. I don't do that very well. I'm not a very still person. I got to be doing something, seems like all the time. I struggle with stillness. And I thought, you know, maybe if I just take a minute and I get up a little earlier than I like to get up, and, or maybe I, 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 I do what it is that I don't like to do a lot, and that's just be alone. I like to be in the midst of people. Maybe that God would reveal. And so I spent some time on the beach. Somebody would come down and sit beside me, and I'd act like I was asleep, so they'd leave me alone so that I could continue in my stillness. You know what I'm talking about? But it, it still, it was like, oh. and I looked at this beautiful scenery, and it just wasn't there. And then we were on our last night, our last 18 hours in Panama City. We collectively, with some friends, went over to this little place that's just uh, out, of, out of the main strip called Stinky's Fish Camp. And I'm telling you, if God can speak to you through Stinky's Fish Camp, he can speak to you wherever. So we had a great meal. If you haven't had their crawfish pie and you're down there, it is to die for. And so... If you haven't been to Stinky's or know what I'm talking about, it is like one of the hot spots on the beach. And if you don't get there early, you will easily find yourself in a two, two-and-a-half-hour wait. And so we got there early. We're coming out, and there is people everywhere, people on, on at least a two-hour wait. People are sitting in their cars. They can't park. There's not enough parking. People are hanging out by the road. And, and it was like, man, I'm glad we got here when we got here. And so I'm in the car with some friends, and they have uh, some college-age girls that are sitting in the back of the car. And so as we are about to pull out of Stinky's parking lot onto the main road, there is something that happens that I can only describe as complete fangirlism. There is a, a family that's standing on the side of the road, and one of the girls screams, Oh my goodness, it's Jensen Franklin. And I thought, I don't know who that is. Does he tour with the Jonas Brothers? Maybe he's an up-and-coming opening act. And so I immediately began to turn and look. I'm like, who? They're like, it's Jensen Franklin. And I'm going, okay, I'm not seeing anybody here except an old man. That's him. I'm like, hold up, you are 21 years old. Why are you fangirl? Like, who, who is? I, I had no context for who this man was. None. I'm like, so, so like, are you interested in this 58-year-old man? No, 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 he's a pastor. I went, yeah, okay, now I know what the feeling, because people say that about me all the time. They say, you know, it's like, all right. But I, I'm like, hold up, hold on. So not only are you fangirling over a 58-year-old some might say a silver fox. I looked and saw nothing particularly, you know. I mean, I was like, okay. It's not George Clooney. But you're fangirling over a pastor and like, yeah. And I went, okay, that's weird, but okay. Hey, to each their own. So 
over the next 30 minutes on our ride back, it was just like this talk about Jensen Franklin, Jensen Franklin. And, and so at this point, they're talking about a pastor, and I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to like nod along like, oh, yeah, he's good. I had no clue who this guy was. So we get home, go to bed, we get up, and we're driving to my parents the next day. And I asked Lori, I said, okay, who, who, did, is, it, is it a little strange that people fan, I mean, do people do that over, you know, like, and she's like, I guess, you know, I said, what was his name? And so we, we kind of figured it out and we Googled it. Got about a three hour ride. So we're like, let's just Google it and see, you know, kind of what's there. And so we Googled Jensen Franklin and we noticed that the first thing that popped up in the Google search was a sermon that he had preached just about a year and a half ago in Nashville. And I thought, well, okay, it's, maybe there's something there. You know, and again, I'm not thinking about God at this point, like speaking to me through this. So I was like, well, just click it and see. So, so she clicks it, it comes on. And he's from kind of the Atlanta area, and it's this southern, way too excited southern draw. And so he spends the first like six minutes talking about things that have no, no bearing on my life. It's like announcements, and my wife and I have been doing. I was in Washington, D.C., and I was like, is he going to get anywhere? I mean, we're seven minutes in, kind of like I am right now. And, um, <laughs> and I thought, ah. So I was like, just turn, I, I'm not in the mood. So we turned it off. And as I'm driving, it was like something again kept telling me, no, there's something in there for you to hear. There's something. I said, pull that back up. I want to hear. And I sat there and I listened. And the only way I would have known about this guy was because some 21-year-olds fangirled. And I sat there and I listened and I said, God, you delivered. I asked you for something and you delivered. It might have been in the last three hours of the, of the week, but you delivered. And it wrecked me, and it changed me, and it put, it put some words, and it put some concept around what it is that I think I had been missing in my personal life, in my ministry life, and even to an extent in the life of our church. And so I want to present some of that to you this morning. So I wanted you to know where it came from, but I wanted you to know how God opened a door and how we, we were invited in that moment to walk through it and how I want to use some of the words of Jensen to walk us through this door. Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 12. This is the law of the temple. All the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy, such is the law of the temple. These are the measurements of the altar in long cubits, the cubit being a cubit and a handbreadth. And that was it. And you may be thinking, like I was thinking in those first few minutes, what in the world does this have to do with anything? What does this have to do with Act 2? Why is it in this moment when, when Jensen read this, I went, this is it. What does this have to do with the next act of our church? What does this have to do with Acts, the early church? What does this have to do with anything? I mean, what does this have to do with walking with Jesus? And what does this have to do with the why and the mission? And then we'll get there. But first, it comes in understanding a little small word in here. It comes to understanding the cubit. And if you don't know about the cubit, the Hebrew word there is amah. And all the cubit was was an ancient standard measurement used in order to build or construct or create something. 
And you can find this all over the place. It's a historical fact. It's not just a, a biblical thing. It was used all over the place. We see it in Babylonian time. We see it in Egyptian culture. We see it in Mesopotamian history. We see it in Rome. They used the cubit. They didn't have sophisticated measuring tools. They didn't have an iPhone that they could scan something and go, okay, 13 and a half feet, let's go. And so what they would do is they would use what is called the cubit. And the cubit was a simple measurement. It was about 18 to 20 inches long. And the way that they arrived at it was through hand breaths. And so everybody kind of just put your hand up. The hand breath is this. If you kind of tuck your thumb, the hand breath is from this side of your hand to this side of your hand. And so they would measure using the cubit or the hand breath. And so the way they would do it is they would start at their elbow and go one, two, three, four, five, six. So everybody do that. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six. So unless you've got a really weird arm, it should be from the elbow to the fingertip. And so that's the way they would measure. Six hand breaths equals one cubit. And so they would use this in all their measurements to build things. In fact, in rabbinic law, they called that area, the forearm, they called it the mother of the arm. And the reason they called it the mother of the arm is that whatever people thought about, whatever you dreamed about, whatever it is that you engineered in your mind, the cubit, the mother of the arm, would go to work creating those things. It would be this part of the arm that would give life to what it is that you would create in your mind. And so men and women, using the measurement of the cubit, using the cubits themselves, did some amazing things. I was with my aunt last night, and, you know, my aunt's getting up in age, and she was getting to where she was really, really, really struggling to get around. And I asked her, I said, so, hey, how's, how's the knees? And she's like, they did surgery, and they put in a fake knee, they had knee replacement, and it's amazing. She said, you know, I've had a little bit of swelling here and there, but she goes, it doesn't hurt anymore. I know some of you have had that. Now, think about this. Somewhere, at some point, someone thought, you know what? I can make a mechanical knee, a joint. I can open someone up, cut out the old knee, put in the new knee, sew it back up, and this thing will work better, perhaps, than the old knee. The cubit does that. Somebody in somewhere, their mind says, I can do this, and then the hands go to work creating and in placing and engineering that moment. I saw this week, any, any gadget geeks? Some big's coming out, iPhone 11. Anybody pre-order? No? Only me? Okay. <laughs> no, I haven't yet. But uh, again, think about this. That in our hands, we hold more computer power than what put men on the moon. They say this new dual-lens camera is better than professional cameras just a few years back. And somebody, somewhere, thought of this. They thought of putting a voice in your phone that can tell you the answer to everything. In fact, let me tell you how scary this is. Leanne, last week, came in and she goes, hey, I'll be right back. I'm going to run across the street and get some, some ibuprofen. She didn't even mention the name. I said, well, there's some in the cabinet I just bought it this morning if you want to look in the office. No lie, 20 minutes later, now my phone's sitting on my desk. 20 minutes later, I log on to Facebook in order to post something, and guess what pops up? 
an ad for Advil. Someone thought of it. And then in a lab somewhere, guess what happens? The Cubits went to work creating those kinds of things. Think about the building and structures. It's football season. A few years back, I went down to AT&T Stadium in Dallas. I have never seen anything like it. And I sat in the midst of that stadium, and I thought, I wonder how they got that Ford truck four levels up on that pedestal. And then I began to look. I wonder, and you just began to take this in. I was at the Sistine Chapel last October, and you look and you go, wow. In a very different way than, than AT&T Stadium, you begin to look and go, wow. And all of those things happen with the cubit, with the mother of the arms. People think it, they dream it, they vision it, they engineer it, and the cubits go to work, and everything happens. I was downtown Friday with my dad. My dad goes, what has happened to Nashville? I was just here six months ago. There's like 48 new buildings. And I said, yeah, there's 52 of them still coming. We counted 20-something cranes again. And you begin to look at those job sites, and you begin to see men and women working with their cubits to make these grand things happen. So how does all this happen? Someone dreams it. Someone thinks it. And the cubit goes to work crafting, building, and creating. It is absolutely amazing. If you think about it, we could spend all day thinking about the amazing, marvelous things that man has done with his hands, making the invisible visible. We're gifted. We're genius. We are wonderfully created people, and part of that is because we are created in the image of God. And we have amazing capacities to do some amazing things all with the cubits of our hand. But here's the issue. I think that sometimes this giftedness, this genius that we carry, pushes us toward a thinking that is not healthy for us. It pushes us toward believing and thinking that we can do all these things, we can do all things, on our own. That, that there'll come a place where, you know what, I begin to be in such amazement. I marvel at what it is that we are able to do to the point that I go, you know what, I don't really think I need God in this. Jesus said to his disciples as he was again beginning to lay the groundwork for this movement that was about to take place, this ecclesia that was about to play, take place, he says, listen, you need to tune in because there's something really, really important here. He says, you know what, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, he says, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. And you go, hold up. Didn't we just talk about all the things that we can do? I mean, we just talked about how amazing we are and how gifted we are and how genius we are. And Jesus comes in and says, listen, before this thing ever gets off the ground, there's something you need to know. If you want to bear fruit, you want this thing to go anywhere, You've got to stay connected to me. When Jesus says do nothing, here's what he's talking about. He's talking that there is nothing you can do spiritually. There is nothing you can do eternally. There's nothing you can do everlasting. There's nothing you can do morally speaking 
that will last without me, without God. He says, you will need more than the cubit to do what it is that I'm calling you to do. If you really want to bring about transformation, you really want to bring about change in your personal life, in the life of those around you, there will come a time that you're going to bump up against something that's going to require more than what these are able to do. Now, go back to that six and one for just a second. Six, historically, biblically, six is the number for man. Man was created on the sixth day. There's lots of mention in six, and I don't have time to, to kind of lay all this out, but just a few. You know, you look at the Israelites when they're taking over the land in Jericho. They were told to do what? They were told to march around the wall six days. You see six all throughout. They, they, would, they were to harvest their land for six years and then stop. Harvest it for six and then take a break. Six is man's number. It represents what man is able to do. But seven is God's number. On the seventh day, God rested. And then you begin to unfold that seven. Here's what you see. You see all sorts of things that God does on the seventh. They march for six, and God on the seventh, the wall falls, and they begin to march into their promised land. They harvest the land for six years. God then does what? He restores the land in the seventh year. It's called the year of Jubilee, where he renews the earth. He renews the soil so that what? In the next six years, they might even have a better harvest than they had in the previous six. But the seventh was vital in that. It's that moment when God restores, he makes known, he does things that we cannot do on our own. Now, back to Ezekiel. I'm about to link all this together. Ezekiel is given a vision for how to build God's house. He says, okay, I want you to build me a house. And, and Ezekiel, I want you to do this so that I can dwell in this place, so that I can be known in this place, so that people can know that I dwell in this place. I want you to build me something. And he lays out a vision for what it is that this thing is going to look like, what it's supposed to be, what it's going to include, all of these things. And in verse 12, he says, this is the law of my house. The surrounding area... He says, you know, we'll be on the top of the mountain and be holy. He says, but such is the law of the temple. It's the law of my house. Now, I want you to notice he says this two times. And any time throughout Scripture that we see God kind of say something twice, it's that moment where Ezekiel would have gone, oh, I probably really need to, to lean in and listen here. So God says, listen, if you want to know how to, to really build my house, if you want to build a church that I can dwell in, that I can be a part of, this is the law of my house. And in verse 13, he unfolds the beginning of what he's talking about. Here's what he says. He says, these are the measurements of the altar. And he goes on to describe all sorts of things that he's going to use this measurement for. That cubit being a cubit and a handbreadth. Now, did you catch it? Here it is. The key to this is that you are to build it with a cubit being a cubit and a handbreadth. He says, You've been building everything for generations with one cubit being six handbreadths. But he says, If you're going to build me a house, you're going to build it using your six handbreadths and you're going to add one to it, giving it seven. It's the seventh hand. He says, if you want to build me a place that I'm going to dwell in, you better add a cubit. You better add a hand breath to your cubit. God says, listen, 
Do all that you can do. Use everything that you have, your ingenuity. He says, use your genius, use your talent. But he says, when you get done, add a handbreadth to it. He says, use your gifts. Use your creativeness. Use your craftiness. Use all of that. But he says, if you want something to really happen, you want me to dwell in it, you better ask for the seventh hand. See, here's what God was doing. Is that they would lay those cubits out just as fast as they could walk. And I got to imagine at some point there was a moment in this construction process where somebody said, that doesn't look like, that doesn't look like a cubit plus one. They're like, ah, oh, I forgot. And they'd have to go back and remeasure. It was requiring them to intentionally think about this. It was the moment where they said, okay, I've been doing this. I was trained all my, oh, wait, I got to, God, I know. Here's your spot. Here's your spot. Here's your spot. It was this way of God to say, I want to be in the midst of this, and I want you to be intentional about putting me in the midst of this. Did you add the seventh? And so, guys, this stopped me in my tracks. Because in full disclosure, in complete transparencies, there was quite a bit of, over the last year or so, there's, there's been some frustration from me, in me, because I felt like we were doing a pretty good job with things. I felt like, you know, I began to look and, and go, man, our cubits have done some pretty amazing things. Our cubits had built some pretty good systems, and our cubits had built a pretty functional website, and our, our cubits had visited schools and dropped off lunches, and our, our, our cubits had done some pretty amazing things. And on that drive that day, here's what God asked me. He said, Jason, ask for my hand. And guys, I don't want you to think that I'm not a, a guy of faith and prayer and that I hadn't, but I had not stopped in quite some time and said, God, put your hand with ours. It was that moment where God said, Jason, I know that you're running ragged. Your effort, man, has been Spectacular. You've worked tirelessly. You've thought, you literally think of every single curtain placement. You think of everything there is to think about when it comes to these things. Now will you let me put, your, put my hand on your effort? And here's what I know. I know we can do some really cool, amazing things, but we can't do anything everlasting without God's hand. And guys, this goes beyond church. You can't build a marriage that's going to flourish into what it's meant to without the hand of God. You can plan out date nights. You can read all the books. You can do all the things that says, you know what, this is what's going to be a great marriage, but it's not until you ask the seventh hand, God's hand, to be in the mix of all that. You can overcome and you can break through all sorts of bad habits. But you'll never fully get there until we begin to seek the seventh hand. 
You can do everything you're supposed to do in rearing your kids. You can make sure they're here every Sunday. You can make sure they're checked in. You can make sure that, you know what, they go to Christian schools. You can make sure that they avoid all sorts of non-Christian radio and everything. You can shelter them beyond anything that is even healthy. But I'm telling you, you will not rear what is everlasting without God's help. It's these moments when we begin to say, God, I'm doing all that I can do, but I need more. And he says, all you got to do is ask. All you got to do is go back and begin to remeasure. But instead of just doing it with the sixth hand breath, he said, add one. Begin to intentionally seek me. He says, because here's the truth. We, I, as your pastor, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. You are not enough. We are not enough. Our our talents can be off the charts. Guys, I'm telling you, Eric is one of the best guitar players you'll hear in this town. But it's not enough. No offense, Eric. Our gifts can be extraordinary, but they're not enough. Our genius to explore the known universe is not enough. Our, Our creativity may be able to marvel the masses, but God told me, he says, it's not enough, Jason. It's not enough. He says, your your work ethic can be second to none, but it's not enough. It It was loud and clear when God said, without me, none of this will be enough. And you'll stay frustrated. And it was in this moment where I began to look at our story. And again, I saw it unfold. I thought, God, we, we have amazing systems. We have marketed. We have logo. We have advertised. We have more swag than any church should ever have. I see stickers on I see all this. And then I got into a spiritual place. God, we have prayed. We have practiced. We have done everything. And God says, ask for my hand. Ask for my hand. And so here it is. God, we need you to come, and we need you to bring what only you can bring. God, we need you to come upon this place. We need you to come upon our homes. We need you to come upon our individual walks, and we need you to bring what only you can bring. God, we need you to make something happen that we can't. Here's the question. Do we believe in the seventh hand? Can we get to a place where we can say, listen, we can continue to work ourselves to death, but without intentionally going back and saying, God, in every step of the way. And that's the thing is that, you know, these people couldn't measure out and then add seven. That's not what he was asking or add 13. He was saying, no, every cubit add a handbreadth. You say, well, but wouldn't it be easier just to, if, I mean, if we're going to use 13, just measure out 13 and then add 13 handbreadths to it? He says, no. Add it every time. Because every step of the way, I want you to know that this is the law of my house. I want to give you one more story, and we'll wrap this up. 1 Kings 18. Again, just showing you again how God, God works in this. 1 Kings 18, there's a guy by the name of Elijah, and Elijah's a prophet, and they are in severe famine at this time. Hadn't seen rain in years. Everything was dried up. It was withered up, and and starvation was was on the brink. And so Elijah prays in that moment to God. He says, God, let it rain. God, let it rain. And then he turns to his servant. He says, 
I want you to go to the sea, to the edge of the sea, and tell me what it is that you see. Because they knew that rain would come in and blow in from the sea. And again, I even think about that scenario. Do we pray and then go look? See, Elijah prays and then he goes and looks. And I want you to know something. Elijah's not just feeling a religious obligation here. He goes, well, I guess in these moments, you know, I've got to pray. That's what I'm supposed to do. No, he takes action. He sins. He says, no, go look because I serve a God that when I pray to him, he makes things happen. So he sends his servant and he says, go look. So the servant goes and he looks. He doesn't see anything, so he comes back and he reports to Elijah, I, I didn't see anything. He says, go again. And so the servant trots back out to the seashore and he looks over this vast sea and he says, I don't see anything. So he comes back and he says, what would you see? He says, I didn't see anything. And Elijah looks at him and says, go again. And so he goes back out to the seaside and he looks and he says, hmm, I don't, I don't see anything. And he comes back and he says, what would you see? And he says, I didn't see anything. And Elijah says, go again. Guys, six times... Elijah sends his servant to the edge of the sea, and guess what the servant comes back with every time? Six handfuls of nothing. And he looks at him on the seventh time, and he says, go again. So the servant at this point, I'm sure, is thrilled. And he gets there, and he comes back. He says, what would you see? He said, well, I saw, look at this. Actually, I don't think I have it up here, but here's what he says. He says, I saw a cloud, get this, the size of a man's hand. And Elijah goes nuts. He says, hitch up the horses, we got to get out of here. In fact, the text tells us that he pulls up his cloak, bundles it up so he doesn't trip. And it says that Elijah outruns the horses to get away from what's coming. And then we turn to the next verse and look what happens. It says that the clouds grew, they multiplied. It says that the, the whole sky turned black, the winds rose, and there was rain that dumped on that dry and parched land. And here's what Elijah learned. The cloud was little, but it was loaded. And little is much when God is in it. And that's what I see in Acts. And so if you want to know what does all this have to do with Acts and Act 2, and what I'm seeing is that little is much when God is in it. What I see in Acts is not fancy. It's not big massive buildings and all these things that are drawing. No, it's a movement. And what we begin to see and what we've seen over the last six weeks is this. That the church was not only powered by God's hand, but the church begins to turn into God's hand. It begins to be what it is that facilitates what it is that God desires for culture and for us and for our families and for our neighborhoods and for our cities. That it is, the church is an extension of God's hand. And Paul lays this out, and we don't have time to get into this, but Paul lays this out when he gives us this symbolism of the body. And I've come to this place where I, I believe that most everything that God is going to do is going to come through the church. It's going to come through us. 
And guys, we have seen the seventh hand over and over, and it's, it's almost like there's these moments when we, we see it, and then we revert to this mental place where we go, ha, I got this now. And so I began to measure off cubits. And God says, you forgot something. Go back and remeasure it. But this time, add a hand breath. I want more, guys. Six is not enough. I want to see what can happen in this place if we focus entirely and intentionally on inviting God's hand on our church. What would happen in your house if you began to invite intentionally seeking God's hand on your marriage? God's hand on you rearing your children who you think, you know what, if something doesn't change, there's only two places that are going to be able to hold my kid. The grave or jail. I don't know what I'm going to do in my life. What if you begin to say, God, I'm going to do everything I can do. And I want you to notice something in this. It's not like God excuses us from doing anything. But if we're going to see the unexplainable, that's what I want to see. Guys, if I'm honest, over the last couple years, I can pretty much explain everything that's happened here. But I want to see the unexplainable. I want to experience the undeniable. I want to experience something in this community so great that when people look, they go, I don't know how in the world. And we go, we don't either. Ah, yeah, we do. God did it. I want, to see sto- I want to see more stories like Jamie a few weeks ago who the fact that she's alive is unexplainable. I want to see stories like we saw all this summer, but I want to see more of them. Where we look and we begin to go, that is undeniably the hand of God. I'm talking about I want to get to a place where we really seek it, where we call for it, where we long for it. God, will you place your hand on this place? Here's the fact. It is not up to us. And this may be disheartening to you coming from your pastor. It is not up to me to build this church. It's not up to me to restore your marriage. It's not for me to... I'll walk with you through anything we've talked about. It's going to be God linking up. It's going to be God coming on top of what it is that we do. It's going to cause any sort of an awakening. So as we land, here's what I want to ask you to do. When you've done all you can do, seek God's hand. And I know that may seem backwards. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we seek God's hand first? Yeah, but that's just not the way we work, if we're honest. Now, unless you're some sort of supernatural Christian, which if you are, I would love to link up with you because I would share this this space anytime. But I'm not. So here's what happens in my life, and I'm sure it's what happens in your life. You try to tinker and fix it and do whatever else you can, and then what? So let's just let's just go with that. Do all that you can do. And then begin to seek God's hand to come on top of what it is that you're already doing. find yourself overcome with addiction 
Find a group. Do what you can do. Find a group. Get a counselor. Go to meetings. Do your sixth hand. And then when you get to that place, just say, okay, God, I'm doing. Man, I'm, I'm staying away from the places and the people I need to. There's one hand. God, I'm in, a, I'm in a meeting on Tuesday. There's two hands. God, I'm in a meeting on Thursday. There's three hands. God, I, I'm, I'm trying to you know, get into a house group where people can hold me accountable. I'm, I'm letting people in my circle. There's four. You see what I'm saying? Do everything you can do in your marriages and everything else, financially, spiritually, emotionally. God, I pray that you place your hand on all these places, all our struggles, our doubts, our fears, our anxieties, our health, both physical and mental. You know, I told somebody this last week, I'm such an advocate of not just praying away mental health. No, I'm an advocate for us doing everything we can do and then letting God put his hand upon everything that we're doing. Prayer is not magic. God is unbelievably powerful when we begin to seek Him, doing what we can do, and then allowing Him to come in and putting His hand on top of Him. He tells Ezekiel, this is the law of my house. Stand with me. I want to end a little bit different this morning, so... If you will, just close your eyes for a second. And if you're comfortable, if not, that's, that's okay. But if you're comfortable, you just, you just raise your hands and they can be to the side. Or just, Here's what I want us to leave with today. God, let this be symbolism. Here's what I have. Here, here's everything I have, God. Here's my talent. Here's my giftedness. Here's my mess. Here's everything I have. God, here's your church. Here are our cubits. Here are our hands. Now, God, will you add yours? Because ours is not enough. God, we'll do everything we can. But we need you. So, God, I pray that your hand comes upon this place comes upon our hearts, both individually and collectively. God, I pray that your hand comes on our marriages, our children. Father, we're about to sing a song that describes that moment that Elijah saw where he says, there is a cloud beginning to swell. It's in the distance. But God, we're ready to receive what it is comes with it. So, fathers, we sing this. We pray that these are more than just words, but that these are words of trust and belief, of preparedness, God, that we're going to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive what it is that, that will come in this moment.